Thanks for checking out the Awaken Church podcast. Awaken Church messages are brought to you by our generous givers and partners. You can learn more about the vision or give financially to support the work God is doing here at Awaken by visiting our website, awakenchurch.cc. If you can't make one of our weekly worship services, you can always watch online by going to our website and clicking on the watch tab. And now, wherever you're joining us from, thanks for listening, and we hope this message encourages you. Tell you, in light of what I feel like we're experiencing in the room, contrasted up against that bumper music, makes me feel like we picked the wrong radio station, you know what I mean? (laughs) Is it okay to say that? Um, I want to preach a message about uh, faith and share a little bit about what God's teaching me and hopefully today impart some of that to you. Uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 1. Let me read it together. If you got your Bibles, go and open up to Mark chapter 2. Um, we're in a core value series here at Awaken. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Brandon. Um, I'm one of the pastors here, and this series is about um, who we are as a church, how we do church. Uh, last week we looked at, we gather together for worship. Uh, if you need any indicator of why we do that, it's literally what we just experienced. Um, can we thank the worship team, please, for leading us? My goodness. Today I want to talk about how we grow in faith through our relationships. Um, Next week we'll talk about giving of our time, talent, and treasure, and then we'll wrap it all up with how we go after our one. We go after people who uh, who are close to us but far from God. But today I want to speak specifically about uh, how our faith grows in the context of relationships. I think sometimes we, we view faith as this confined thing this isolated thing that's this personal journey uh, in our quiet times with the Lord. And while that's a part of it, uh, I've found, and maybe you have too, that our faith is going to grow the most when we're in connection and in relationship with other people, when we hear other stories of what God's doing, when we can gather like this and celebrate the progress and the journey of, of a Larry and a Jessica Tran or a Nate and an Allie, and, and maybe you're not in relationship or never really have been with people in the church, I want you to know this is a church that wants to get you in relationship with other people. Uh, because when you hear what God's doing in their life, you want some of that. Amen? Uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 1. I want to read this and then talk a little bit about the implications I believe this passage has for us on how God grows our faith in the midst of relationships. This is what we find. Uh, when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Now, Quick context, Jesus has started his ministry. Jesus has uh, began teaching out in the public square. Jesus has healed people. In fact, in Mark chapter 1, uh, he heals a leper, a guy who had leprosy, this skin disease that was outcast from community. Jesus heals this man, and we're told that the crowds gathered so quickly that Jesus like pushed away and was like, I got to get away, and he went into these like remote villages. That's how bad people wanted to be around Jesus. That's how desperate the needs were. They were like, we got to get to this man Jesus, and Jesus pulled away. It wasn't that he didn't want to meet their needs. It was just, it was so overwhelming. And Jesus' mission was to seek and save the lost, not just heal everybody that needed healing. And so he pulled away, but then he comes back home. And so when he comes back home, word gets out. And when word gets out, uh, the house spread quick, or house filled up quick. Verse two, soon the house where Jesus was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. And while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. 
And they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. And then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Now, Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and he said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, he grabbed his mat, and he walked out through the stunned onlookers. And they were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we have never seen anything like this before. And they had never seen anything like this before, and most of us haven't either. Now, here's what I want to invite you to do uh, as I set up this message. Would you just close your eyes, everybody in the room? Watching online, close your eyes. Driving in your car, don't close your eyes uh, if you're somehow dialing in. But everybody in the room, let's close our eyes for a second. Uh, and here's what I want you to think about. Think about the last uh, wedding that you went to. Uh, it may have been your own. It may have been for a friend. Um, I would, in fact, I would encourage you to think of your own if you are in the room and you're married. If you're not married and you're single, I want you to think about maybe the last wedding where you were a bridesmaid or a groomsman or that you witnessed. And I want you to think about um, the bride standing at the altar. Now, there's this tradition that uh, for a couple to have good luck in their marriage, that uh, the, the bride should have a couple things. One should be something old, something new, something borrowed, and something blue. If you didn't do that, that's the reason you're struggling in your marriage right now. Uh, but I want you to, uh, you got that visual? Everybody got the visual? Open up your eyes. Everybody got the visual? Yeah, maybe for some of you, it took you back to your own wedding day, and you see your wife in, in that light, and that may have been the reason you came to church today, honestly. Maybe on the way here, you argued in the car, and God just recalibrated your heart, and you fell back in love with her. You got all you needed out of church today, amen? Um, but that some, something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. As someone who does weddings, uh, I think about how this has played out and how I've seen this before. I've seen uh, a groomsman before that's wearing cufflinks that wears granddad's. Right, something, something old that, that is there at the altar, uh, something new. If you're getting married, buy your wife a gift, okay? That's for all the guys in the room. Uh, that's maybe something new that you get at the altar, something borrowed. Uh, you may borrow a necklace from your mom or borrow a bracelet from a friend. Uh, and then something blue, that's usually the flowers because that's the easiest thing. Uh, but, but this is a tradition that goes into wedding ceremonies and and I love it because when I think about that, and maybe you thought about that bride, it's a reminder that when you get to the altar, you're some collection of the relationships in your life to that point. Because no one develops in isolation. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, you, the people that supported you or encouraged you or had your back on the way to the altar, like it's a representation of these important relationships in your life. When I think about faith, it is no different. Your faith, my faith, it is shaped by the people that we have in our lives. Maybe you grew up in a home that was uh, embedded in faith and you grew up in church. Man, be thankful that you had those seeds of faith in your life growing up. Uh, maybe you, you moved in next to somebody or somebody moved in next to you that's a neighbor and they were Christian and they invited you to church. They said, hey, you need to come be a part of this thing that I'm a part of. It's 
really important in my life. You're a, collect, like that, you're a collection of that relationship in your life. Maybe right now as you sit in the room, there's people that you're connected to that are depending on you to help shape their faith, right? Like none of our relationships are accidental. They're all intentional. God puts us in these relationships for a reason. And so as you think about that and we look at this story, this is a story of great faith that had a tremendous impact on everybody that was in the room, but everybody in the room was in a different place, right? So when I think about it, um, you had these four guys that had a friend. The friend was paralyzed. And, and just, if you, just role play for a second with me if you can put yourself in the story, because I think sometimes we read it and we just go, oh, that's a cool story. God healed their friend. But I want us to think about these four guys because they, they're a little nuts. They're a little crazy. Y'all got friends like that? Anybody got friends that are just kind of nuts? They're the ones that your parents said stay away from or just be careful with, right? Like at some point they, they get word, hey, Jesus is back in town and, and the word was out about Jesus that he was this miracle worker. And he goes to Peter's house most scholars will say this is Peter's house. This, by the way, Mark, the gospel of Mark, even though Mark wrote it, it was Peter's account of his time with Jesus. So imagine Mark and Peter as uh, older men. And Peter says, hey, Mark, pull out a pen. Write, write down the stories of my time with Jesus. That's the gospel of Mark. That's why it's so action-packed. Peter was kind of crazy. This happens at Peter's house. And, and they get word, hey, Jesus is there, and he's, he's teaching, he's inside, he's come back home, and so... Um, the room, the house is, is full. This would not be a house like maybe our house today. I want you to imagine, if you will, like kind of like a studio apartment, okay? Much smaller. The roof, maybe like eight foot high at most. Um, thatch roof, kind of like mud, straw put together. Uh, that, that's, that's what we have over in Israel in the first century. And so it, it, it fills up with people so much so that outside the house, there's people listening too. Right, because this man who had healed someone of leprosy is now back teaching. People want to know what he had to say. And there were a lot of needs, people being brought to him that had needs. And so these four guys get word, and they're like, hey, we need to take, I'm just going to make up a name. We're going to take Robbie. I'm going to use Robbie. We're going to take Robbie to Jesus, because Robbie desperately needs Jesus. Uh, amen, right? Robbie's, Robbie's paralyzed. Robbie can't get to Jesus himself. And so these four friends make a decision Hey, we, we know what he's done. We know what he can do. Let's take Robbie to him. And we find out that Robbie was on a mat, and scholars will tell us that uh, most paralyzed people, they were cast out of society, forced to lay on something. So it's not the dirt. It would have been some kind of rug or mat. They decide we're going to pick up. It's, it's four friends, so there's one for each corner. They're going to pick up this mat, and we're going to carry him to Peter's house. I could stop right there and preach an entire message on who's your for. Like, who are the people that you have in your life that are willing to do whatever it takes to get you to Jesus? Like, who, who are the people around you that when, when you're in that state, when you have nothing to offer and no way to get there, that are going to say, you know what, I will find a way to get you to the one person that can heal whatever it is that you're going through. You need people like that in your life. Right? Like I think about all the young people, school starting back, college starting. We got college freshmen in the house. The decisions, the friends that you put around you over the next couple of weeks are going to shape the next couple of years in your life. Make sure the four that you have are ones that get you in front of Jesus. These four guys go, all right, let's go. Robbie, it's time. Robbie was probably like, where are we going? Right? We're going to Jesus. Maybe they told him. Maybe they didn't. 
And they get to the house, and when they get to the house, all they see is a crowd all around this house. I would imagine there was a door. They go to the door, can't even get to the door. I think most of us, if we're really honest, and we were the ones carrying the mat, we would say, you know what? We'll come back another day. I'll come back to the, uh, the 11 o'clock service, or I'll come back next week, right? Because this is a closed door, if we're going to be Christianese. It's a closed door. It's not going to happen today. But these guys go, you know what? There's another way. Anybody got another way, friends? The friends that won't take no for an answer? Uh, this is the one that, that goes to a restaurant. There's a party of eight. You go, hey, we need a table for eight in Charleston. It's like, yeah, sorry, all we got is tables for four. Oh, that's fine. We'll squeeze chairs in. No, you don't understand. It's not possible. No, you don't understand. I came and we're going to eat dinner here tonight. Yeah. <laughs> you got those kind of, I was raised by a mom like that, by the way. Like, tell me no. You tell me no, that's a suggestion. Like, you tell me no, this is a trial run because I'm going to get my way kind of thing, right? Like, we're going to walk through this, talk through this. Uh, these friends, they get to the door and I just imagine that somebody is going, hey, this is too crowded. Like, take, get him out of here. Get him out of here. Because the predominant thought for Robbie, who's paralyzed, is that it, it's his fault that he has that condition. The, the religious thought of the day was that if you were paralyzed or you had some kind of ailment, you were blind, you were deaf, you were mute, that that was a result of your sin or your parents' sin. If you remember, the disciples at one point asked Jesus about a blind man. Hey, Jesus, is he blind because of his sin or his parents' sin? Remember that? And Jesus says, no, 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 he's blind so that the Son of Man can be glorified today because I'm about to heal him. The, the people gathered at Peter's house, for the most part, would have believed Robbie was paralyzed, had no place getting in the house. These friends decide, that's fine if you want to think that way, but we're going to find another way in. Now, if you look at construction first century, there would have been a stairwell that went up the side of the house and then the roof of this house. And so they decide, we're going to carry him up to the top. I imagine Robbie's going, what are y'all doing? Please don't do this. I don't trust y'all. Y'all are crazy. Like, maybe bucking it a little bit. And they get up top, and the roof would have been like mud tiles, like mud and straw baked together tiles. They didn't like dig a hole in the roof, right? They're not destroying property. But they, they remove pieces of the roof and they're looking down into, for all intents and purposes, the church service. Could you imagine for a second? <laughs> Just, I mean, put yourself in the room. Imagine like you're sitting there, Jesus is talking, you know, and there's, there's some people who are there that are, uh, we're told teachers of the law. So the religious leaders, they're taking notes. They're trying to catch it. Like, what is he saying? Or he's He's quoting Jonah in the Old Testament. I don't know. Like, there's others in there that are just desperate for healing. Like, it's a, it's a church service, and all of a sudden, the, the roof opens up. And, and you got four guys looking down. Robbie's over here. Jesus is through the hole, along with everyone else in this packed house. And they make a decision, we got to lower our boy down there. So they all grab the mat, and they lower it down. Now, I don't know about you, but when you stretch out your hands, we're talking about two feet, Right? Think about it, because I want, I want us to envision Robbie for a second. When, when you lower Robbie down with as far as you can go through this hole, there's about six feet left before he gets to the ground, right? I just want you to know what kind of friends these are. They're lowering him down, right? And one's holding, he's like, Ted, this far as I can go. Yeah, I know, we, we didn't think this through, did we? No, Robbie, 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 it's going to be good, and they just let go, you know? Boom. <laughs> And I, and I try to think about this, like, here's Jesus. Jesus is teaching. Everybody's crowded. Woo! And what Peter tells us, they lowered the man on his mat, 
right down in front of Jesus. I know some of y'all are like, well, they had rope. You don't know that. But as soon as he gets in front of Jesus, Mark tells, or Peter tells us in verse five, that seeing their faith, so I want you to imagine Jesus, I have to envision him smiling. Church has been disrupted. He looks up through this hole in the roof because that's where the four friends were. And we find that Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. And there's this moment in the room because I want us to feel the tension. I want us to feel the tension. This isn't some like faraway story. That, like there's, there's a crowd that's sitting there. We're told there's teachers of the law that are sitting there. We have these four guys who literally cared less maybe about the law, right? Because they're bringing a paralyzed man in front of someone who claims to be the Messiah and they drop him down. And so we have Jesus in all his divinity, fully God, fully man, in front of people who embraced the law, which was the Old Testament. And what we have dropping through the ceiling is a visual of what sin would be in our lives, something that paralyzes us and we can do nothing about. That's what's taking place in this moment. And Jesus looks at the, the friends, he sees their faith, and he says, you're forgiven. Now, here's the implications of this story, and this is what I want us to focus on. Everybody in the room that day and everybody in this room, we're at different stages of our faith journey. Some people have a faith that I would call old, raised in the church, been walking with Jesus for decades. That's amazing. Some people have a faith that's new. You were just baptized at the last baptism weekend or maybe you're scheduled to be baptized next Sunday. It's a brand new faith. Everything's new to you. This is a new story to you. Some of y'all walked in with old faith today and you're like, I've heard Mark 2 preached before. Some of y'all walked in today, you're like, what in the world? Who would do this? It's a brand new story. New faith, old faith, new faith. For some in this story, there's what I would call borrowed faith. I look at Robbie on the mat. He's borrowing the faith of his friends in this story, right? Because there's nothing he can do. It's, he's fully dependent on somebody else reaching out to him and they have to believe in faith to bring him somewhere he needs to be. And then lastly, what I would say is the faith of the man who's healed. Like his faith is ignited and he's made whole on this day. When I look at the church today, we're at all different spectrums. And this story speaks to every single one of us, no matter where we are on that journey. And so to the first person, I would say this. If you got an old relationship or old faith in the room, first thing this story does and what faith does, relationships in our life, relationships add fire to our faith. It adds fire to our faith. You go, what does that mean? I think sometimes when we read the Bible, specifically the New Testament, the teachers of the law, the religious leaders, they get a bad rap. And I know like Jesus, like the harshest things that Jesus said was to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Like the hardest teachings, like he called them hypocrites to their face, right? So it's easy to just lump them into a category as those who oppose Jesus. But I have to believe if, if these religious leaders had memorized the Old Testament and taught the scriptures, some of them had to be a little intrigued about who Jesus was. Like why, why come to the house this day? And so they're listening, trying to learn, trying to figure this out. The problem, the problem with most of these religious leaders is their understanding of God was locked into something he did in the past. But he hadn't done anything for 400 years. Like the Old Testament ends and then there's this four century gap between God moving in the Old Testament and Jesus showing up. And so you go, I hadn't seen God do anything in 400 years. So like my dad, my granddad, my great granddad, my great, great granddad, there's no stories of God doing anything amazing except that we have to cling to in the Old Testament 
way back in the scriptures. And I think it's possible that there's people today in the church and you go, I'm holding on to something God did way back then, but with no expectation of him to do anything now. In other words, God spoke to you back when you were 14 at some summer camp, but if you're really honest, you haven't really had an experience with him in 20 years, 30 years. Maybe you, you saw God uh, save somebody that you reached out to back when you were a college student, but you hadn't seen him do anything in 25 years. So you're kind of holding on to that, wondering, is, how real is my faith? How grounded is my faith? For these religious leaders, they had this intellect about God, but their intellect was robbing them of the experience right in front of them. Right? Jesus forgives this man. They go, whoa, that's blasphemy. How in the world can Jesus do that? It's kind of like if we sing a song, right? We just sing a song about, I've seen cancer disappear. Just hang with me. And you might would say, I've never seen that in my life. Or if I inject myself into this story, I had an aunt who passed away with cancer. It's very easy for us at times, especially those who've been Christians for a long time to go, because I haven't seen it, maybe I can't believe for it. And if we're not careful, what ends up happening is we go, well, because this is what I know, it limits how our faith can grow. And the truth is what happened in this story Jesus, who is God, fulfillment of the law that they believed in. Which, by the way, Jesus didn't come to negate the law. He came to fulfill the law. Everything they learned about in the Old Testament, believed in the Old Testament, Jesus fulfilled it. And here he is forgiving a man of his sins. And they go, this can't happen. Only God alone can forgive sin. I just imagine Jesus going, I am God. I'm God in the flesh. And they're like, no, because we don't understand it, we're not going to believe it. Old faith, old mature faith, fire can be injected into your faith journey if you have new relationships and you see what God does. I think about the church that we get to experience. Even this morning, when we hear stories of what God's doing, it should add fire to our faith, this fresh belief to our faith, right? And I love what happened in the story because at the front end, they go, well, how can this happen? This is blasphemy. But in verse 12, when we jump down after this man's been healed, we're told that they were all amazed and praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this before. When you see God move in a miraculous way, it takes you from how can this be to I've never seen this before. When I think about what maybe some of us need in the room, we need this kind of injection of fire into our faith to believe God for things that maybe we hadn't seen yet. To believe God for revival. You know, I've heard about revival for 30 years. Does that mean you don't believe God can do it? Because I believe that he still can. But we got to pray for it and believe for it, right? Because if we don't believe for it, it's not going to happen. Old faith, don't let what has been or what happened restrict your understanding of what God might want to do in your life. Relationships are what change that. Second thing is this, relationships are the bridge to faith. Relationships that you have and that I have, they're the bridge that get people to faith. I think it's safe to say from this story, Robbie, the paralyzed man, never gets in front of Jesus if his relationships, his friendships are the bridge to actually get him there. It would have never taken place. Paul says to the Roman church in Romans chapter 10, I want to read this. He says, but how can people, how can they call on him? He's saying, how can people call on Jesus to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? 
And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. What Paul's saying is, look, the only way, faith comes by hearing the word. And if people don't hear the word, they can't believe in Jesus. Well, they can't hear the word unless somebody goes shares it with them. And you're not going to go share it with somebody unless you know them. These are relationships, right? Y'all see how this ties together? They're a bridge. To, and in this story, the man on the mat, the only chance he gets for healing and salvation is through his friends who get him to Jesus. Y'all, that's our responsibility. The relationships that we have, the teammates we have, coworkers we have, neighbors we have, friends we have, we have an opportunity to be the bridge that connects them to faith, new faith. And can we agree whenever we see somebody with like this newfound faith, this new vibrancy in who Jesus is, it motivates us a little bit, right? That's why I love the story of baptisms. We celebrate the stories of people whose lives have been changed. Listen, it's been, I got baptized when I was 21 years old. It's been a long time. Not that long, but it's, but it's been a long time. But when I, when I hear the fresh stories, the new stories of what God's doing, it's a reminder for me that the Holy Spirit is still alive and he's still working and he's still changing lives. And I get an opportunity to be a bridge that brings people to Jesus. This is what Jesus says to the man on the mat. He says, well, let me, let me back up. Because he actually says this in response to the religious leaders. So we have this moment where Jesus forgives this man and immediately starts to get criticized because he's doing something new, right? Uh, which, by the way, if, if you don't want to be criticized, don't ever try to let God use you. Because if you start being used by God to do anything impactful, you're going to get criticized. It's part of it. But what I want us to see here is, is Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, and immediately they start complaining in their mind. Not out loud, but in their mind. Right? Because Peter tells us that um, but some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, y'all, they thought it, they didn't even say it. Could you imagine being called to account for what you think? I know some of you are holier than me. But could you imagine Jesus showing up and correcting what we think? Correcting our motivations? Right? Like you could be sitting here and go, you know what? I don't like that guy. I don't like that he's preaching in a sweatshirt. I think he should be in a coat and a tie. Jesus already knows you're thinking that. And, and, he's, and he's getting you because of that, right? Or, or I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't agree with that person, or I don't like that church, or you, you start to think through all these, man, God knows what you're thinking. And he responds and he speaks into it. And because they started thinking this in their minds, Jesus asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? Check this, verse 10. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Listen, the fact this man got healed because Jesus was trying to prove a point. Like, I don't want to read too much into it, but a part of me is like, would Jesus have left him on the mat forgiven had they not been critical in this moment? Think about it. Because Jesus goes, all right, I'm going to prove to y'all I can do this. Now get up and go. And the man responds in obedience and he gets up and he grabs his mat and walks out. Tells me two things. Number one, forgiveness, forgiveness is readily available. But if you want to experience healing, follow this. You want to experience healing, it's going to require something of you. Obedience. All right? Like the man's laying there. He's forgiven. Jesus says, hey, now get up, pick up your mat and go. Could you imagine if Robbie's laying there and he's like, I don't believe it. 
He'd still be laying there. But he had to respond in obedience in faith to what Jesus just told him to do. It reminds me of the scriptures that faith without works is dead, right? Because you can say you have faith, but if you don't work it out, nothing's gonna happen. James tells us that in his letter. And so for some of you, listen, you're sitting here, you're going, look, God has forgiven you for the struggles that you've been through. He's forgiven you for your sins. But if you wanna experience healing through it, you're gonna have to do something in response. It's gonna take some work from you. What it means is you might have to go to a small group. You might have to get up and read God's word. You might have to commit to start praying, right? You, you have a part to play in the healing that's gonna take place. Jesus says, get up, take your mat, and go. Third thing is this, and I wanna camp here for a second. Our relationships allow us to borrow faith from other people. Our relationships allow us to borrow faith from other people. Now, it's not saving faith that I'm talking about, because I can't borrow salvation from you, right? Like, that's a decision I have to make. As, as much as I love my mom, or I love now my wife, and they were both Christians before me, the fact that I could somehow lean on their faith and be encouraged through their faith is great, but their faith couldn't save me. I had to make a decision that I want to trust Jesus myself. That's, a, that's an individual decision that we make. But borrowing faith, what I mean by that is this. There's times in our Christian lives where we struggle or we stray or we go through difficulty, and oftentimes we just got to reach out and grab onto somebody else because we may not have it in the moment. And some of y'all have been there before. I know some of those stories. You go, look, I, I, don't, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but I'm going to latch on to somebody that maybe can carry me through this. That's what being borrowing faith looks like. There's a story, uh, Remember the Titans, one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, it's like a Christian Disney movie, kind of, you know what I'm saying? And it's got Denzel in it, which is, just makes it amazing. And it's football, makes it amazing. Uh, but in this story, there's a guy, Louis Elastic. Louis Elastic's this big, uh, heavyset lineman. And, you know, just kind of doubts himself. He's self-critical. He's like, I'm no good, I'm terrible. And there's this scene where he says, look, I'm, I'm nothing. I'm this no good, not going to college, white trash. And, and, and I remember that scene. And then hearing the story of Louis Elastic, he would go on to graduate T.C. Williams and actually go play college football. And, and I think about that scene, and I'm like, somebody believed in that dude enough to say, I see something in you, just stick with me. I'll develop you. I think about my own life when I gave my life to Jesus, and I, and I stepped into ministry back in college. I would graduate college at Charleston, and then uh, I moved everything down to New Orleans to go to seminary. Five, six days into that journey, I was like, seminary is not for me. Seminary, not cemetery, by the way. Bible college. And I, and I was like, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing this. Went on Priceline, bought a one-way ticket back to Charleston. Full intention being, this means I'm not going to be in ministry. That was what was going through my head. Because I'd been told, hey, if you're going to be in ministry, you've got to go get training. Flew back to Charleston, and the next day I went and sat in the office of my then pastor. His name was Dr. Joe Wren. And, and Dr. Wren was in his 60s. I looked across the table, explaining what was going on and how I felt at the time, how I felt like I'd let everybody down. Like I'd let Ashley down, we were dating, and it's like, no, I'm actually not gonna be a youth minister. Um, how I'd let myself down, right? Because I'd never really experienced failure up to that point. How I'd let the church down, this church that now I'm meeting with that pastor, I was previously working like as an interim youth pastor, filling in the gaps, and now I'm sitting back in the office going, I don't have what it takes ultimately. And Joe Wren looked at me and said this. I told him, I said, look, if being down there at that seminary for the next three years 
if that's what I got to do to be in ministry, maybe I missed it. And he looked at me and, and almost laughed and was like, you don't have to go to New Orleans. There's another way. But I know God's made you for ministry. And he got me a job in the upstate, in this small church, and I started doing my seminary classes online. My point is this. I had a man look back at me and say, I see in you what God has done and what he's called you to. I'm not letting you step off the rails because of this difficulty. We need people in our lives that have that level conversations with us, that will look us in the face and say, I know what God's got inside of you. I know what he's made you to do. And so get back on the journey of what he created you to do. We need people that'll do that. And sometimes what that means is that we borrow somebody else's faith. Old Robbie on the mat, he had no option here. But I'm telling you, what his friends did when he saw himself put down through that roof, it's like, yep, I'm believing in that too. And Jesus healed him. The man was made whole. And for you, listen, our, our paralysis, right? Because being paralyzed, that's very visual. And we're like, okay, I'm not like that. But what I've discovered is that our paralysis is more mental, right? Maybe you're here and you're just suffering from anxiety. You're suffering from depression. And nobody knows about it, but it's got you paralyzed and confined. And you can't see your way past it. You might need to borrow somebody's faith in this journey and go, hey, I'm going to latch onto them and hold on to them. They're going to carry me through it. Or maybe you need to borrow some faith in the wake of a miscarriage that you've gone through. And you've heard your whole life, God's good, but he doesn't feel good right now. And you just got to hold on through this journey. Or maybe you're raising teenagers right now and you feel like you're failing as a parent and you need to latch on to another parent that goes, no, 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 we're going to get through this together, right? Like these are the struggles that we go through. And if we don't have other people that we can borrow faith from, we're going to struggle on our own. But that's what relationships do for us. That's the importance of getting into a small group or getting on one of these teams or actually getting in relationship with people in the church. You are gonna go through difficulty at some point in your life. And if you don't have relationships to carry you through that time, that journey is gonna be tough and it's gonna be a struggle. The last thing is this, and I'm gonna end on this. When we look at this story, what relationships do for our faith is they help solidify, they help solidify our faith. You go, what does that mean? The writer of Hebrews says this, the writer of Hebrews defines faith, that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we can't see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we can't see. And so when I look at our lives, and you maybe look at your life, there's going to be times where you may ask the question, is what happened back then still pertinent to today? In other words, there may be times where you, you wonder, Am I really saved? Like I know at one point I prayed a prayer and I know at one point I was baptized, but current trajectory, I don't feel as close maybe that I once was. Maybe you feel that way. Maybe you start to stray away in your faith or fall away in your faith and, and you, you need somebody that goes, no, 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 no. No, I, I remember because I was there. Like I remember praying for you when God provided. I remember baptizing you. Remember that? Yeah, I know it was seven years ago, but I remember baptized. I remember the story that we celebrated. Sometimes we all need that reminder. If you don't have people in your life on that journey with you, there's not gonna be anybody to remind you when you need it the most. For this guy in this story, listen, I don't, I know he probably didn't walk a straight and narrow the rest of his life. He probably strayed away. Listen, there was a moment in his life, this guy's life, where Jesus was arrested and Jesus was put on a cross and most people denied even knowing him. 
Can you wonder, I wonder what the conversation was with these five friends at that point. Because what they knew in that moment, hey, we, we can't deny what took place that day, right? Because there was a hole in the roof, a mat that got rolled up. Like, that's the Jesus that we know. And I just, I just wonder sometimes when we think about our own faith and our own relationship with God, I know for me there's times I need other people going, no, I, I know where you've been and I know what you've been through and I know what God's done. And I need that reminder. It solidifies my faith when I got other people on that journey with me. And so here's my question for each and every one of us today. And it's one that we have to ponder. We can call you in here and ask you to uh, fill out next step cards and get in a group, encourage you to get in relationships by joining a team. We, we can encourage these things, but here's the reality. If you want your faith to increase in the days ahead and in the years ahead, it's gonna happen by locking arms with other people just like you that need their faith increased too. Because there's gonna be some, some seasons that you're really, really healthy and you can help carry somebody. There's gonna be some seasons where you're, really, you're tired and you need to be carried. There's gonna be other seasons where you're maybe depressed, you don't see God providing the way that you feel like that he should, but you can latch onto some other stories of provision and be reminded that, that God's good. Right? This is what relationships do in our life. And so let me encourage you here at Awaken Church, don't navigate through your time here alone. For you college students or MUSC, if you're like, hey, I got three years here, what's the point? Here's the point. God can do more in three hours than you can do in three years. So don't negate the fact that he's put you here for the next 36 months. Put your life down, like put some roots down, lock in with people, right? I think about the, the single person right now that's going, well, I don't really know, like I may move away or I'm not, I, I don't know where I fit in. Get into relationships, find couples, find somebody else, find friends, lock in. Don't, don't think that because you're not at some place you believe you should be that God can't use you right now. I think about some of you parents that are in the room. Life's busy, isn't it? I mean, trust me, I got four kids and they do everything. Soccer and football and football and youth. And I'm like, man, we don't have time. You, you, don't, you, don't, have, you don't have time not to get in relationship with people. Because I'm gonna tell you something. When you start to struggle, you're gonna need people there with you. I wanna close with this. You got those next steps cards in your seats? I wanna, I wanna end this message giving you a chance to respond. And you go, what do I respond to? Well, we've, we've covered a little bit of prayer this morning. And what's amazing is when our, our staff is able to gather up these prayer requests each week and pray, it's incredible to see the diversity of needs that exist in this room and in the previous room right before us. To, think, to look at all the prayer requests and go, man, God, there is a lot going on. It gives us a chance to put those at the feet of Jesus as a team. And uh, I wanna encourage you. Maybe, maybe today you write down a prayer request. Maybe you're here and you would say, look, the, the, the faith, I got this old faith that you were talking about, been a Christian for a long time, and I just need a fresh fire. I need something to ignite my spirit this morning. Can I just tell you the best way to do that is to jump into a, a small group you go, well, who's in the group? Look at maybe young people, maybe old people, but the stories you're gonna get out of that group, they're gonna ignite your faith and help it grow. Maybe you're here and you would say, hey, I'm new. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I've never heard that story before. Can I invite you today to give your life to Jesus, start following him, be the best decision you can ever make. It's an eternal decision that changes your destination, right? So let me invite you today, put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ. All across the room, would you just close your eyes for a second? God, as we respond to your word right now, the needs, the needs are vast. 
God, some are, some are in the room just questioning their own faith, wondering where they fall on the spectrum or where they fall in this journey. God, some are clinging to a decision they made a long time ago, but they, they haven't talked to you in quite some time. They've not read your word for quite some time. God, I pray today through your Holy Spirit, you would just fan the flame inside of them and reignite their faith. Give them a fresh devotion to you, a fresh dedication to you, God. Help them to act in obedience, to, to step out, join a group, God, to, 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 to blend their lives in with other people, to build some relationships so their faith might grow. God, I pray you would lead them to do that right now. God, for the one under the sound of my voice that's never made a decision to trust in Jesus, I pray right now, God, that you would just help them to solidify they want to give their life to you, that they want to believe in Jesus, that Jesus died for their sins and rose from the third day. God, I pray that that salvation decision, that they would embrace it, God, and begin growing in their faith today and that they would let us know God, I pray for the church at large. God, everyone in this room that maybe has distanced themselves from other people, who's kept the relationships that are arm's length. God, I pray that right now they would, they would just reach out and take hold of somebody. Begin building relationships back, reestablishing some community, starting some conversations. And God, in the process, I pray that you would help them see that is your plan for the church. That's how you move and that's how you work. So right now, as we continue to pray all across the room, nobody looking around. If you were here today and you would say with full confidence, hey, I, I've, I've never actually placed my faith in Jesus. I wanna begin a relationship with Jesus today. Would you just lift up your hand? I wanna pray for you right now. Just lift your hand, I wanna pray. Amen, I see you, I see you. Praise God. God, I thank you that you're moving in this place and I thank you for new faith this morning. You tell us that, God, you're the one who saves, and it's the will of the Father that all would come to saving faith in you. And so for these who have responded this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray, God, they would continue to move in obedience, that we would see them baptized, that while forgiveness has been experienced, God, the process of healing and salvation now begins. And so, God, I pray that they would respond in faith. I thank you that they lifted their hands, God, so we can cover them in prayer. We give you praise. And now for the rest of the room, if you're here and you would say today, I just need to borrow some faith today. I got something that's going on in my life. I need to be encouraged. I need to be strengthened. Man, today I just need to borrow somebody's faith. Would you just lift your hands so I can cover you in prayer? Amen. I see the hands flying up. God, right now, these hands that are lifted are indicators of heaviness, of difficulty, maybe of doubt some kind of paralysis of not knowing how to move forward. God, I pray that you would just infuse faith into these situations, God. That you would help them feel you very near when they go home and tonight. That God, they would reach out today and take hold of somebody else in this church so their faith may grow through relationships. And God, as a church, help us to do that well. We're not gonna be perfect and it's gonna get messy, but God, help us to love and care for people to the best of our ability. Because that's what you modeled for us, Jesus. So Jesus, I pray all this in your holy name. And all God's people said.